Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. We are back after an unexpected week off. It turns out trying to move to another state is a lot of work on top of actual work. Who knew? But the good news is this week, Kansas City current head coach Matt Potter joins the show on the heels of the team clinching their 2022 playoff berth last weekend with a 3-0 win over the Washington Spirit and is always doing plenty of interesting celebrations along the way. It's a great conversation. Uh, Full time with Meg Linehan is presented by Klarna, the new smart way to pay when you shop online for tickets, team merch, and more. So before we get to the rest of today's episode to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage, we're about to head to London. We've got playoffs. We've got the NWSL Championship. We've got two more friendlies against Germany. There's a lot happening, plus the results of the investigations uh, impending. But everything else that The Athletic has to offer on our site, on our app, across the world of women's sports, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. All right, uh, scratching the surface of everything going on at the moment, I did want to break down the U.S. soccer roster for you, and instead, it is dropping on Thursday, so it's going to have to wait until next week's episode about the game in London, uh, unfortunately, but I do want to just try to present to you what the NWSL weekend ahead means. So there's a lot on the line for multiple teams. So let's let, let's talk about the shield first. There, there is one very simple option here that can eliminate a lot of math. If Portland takes all three points on the road against Gotham on Saturday, the shield is theirs. But there is room for OL Reign to sneak in if they win and Portland has a draw or a loss. If the Reign lose and Portland doesn't get all three points, then you can enter Kansas City Current as your shield winners. But Portland only needs a single point to guarantee a top two seed. OL Reign can clinch a top two seed if they win or if they pick up a single point. Kansas City ends up with a draw or a loss. And San Diego ends up with a draw or a loss. Trying to describe to you playoff scenarios via talking is not... You have to look at these. I believe Steph is also working on some sort of very complex calculations that includes like, this team has to score 24 goals in order to, they're, they're silly. Okay. But we, we will persevere here. The Wave do have a path to a top two seed, but they must beat the Courage on Friday and then depend on the rain and the current not winning. When I say not winning, that means a draw or a loss. Let's talk about the final playoff spots. So Houston is in as long as they get a point against the Spirit, but they can still get in even if they lose, but then their fate depends on Chicago and North Carolina. If they win and San Diego or the current lose, then they might also have the chance of hosting, when I say they, I mean Houston has the chance of hosting one of the first round 
playoff games. Now the real fun, the Courage, Red Stars, and Angel City. If the Courage win, they're in. So we might be sorted by Friday night on this end. But TBD, if the Courage draw, they could still advance if Chicago ends up with a draw or a loss. If the Courage lose, but Chicago gets a point against Angel City, the Courage can still clinch the postseason. Chicago has to win this weekend if they want to advance, and they need San Diego to come through or for Houston to lose by at least a couple of goals to the Spirit. Angel City has pretty much one path. They have to beat Chicago, and they need their California rivals in San Diego to beat the Courage. That was a lot of information. <laughs> I highly recommend you look at it in a visual form, but hopefully you kind of know what the stakes are this weekend. Again, this is kind of the most absurd weekend that we've ever had in the NWL to close out a regular season. I really wish that we were doing a decision day. I'm just going to keep throwing that energy out into the universe because that is what we finally see that that this league could pull it off. Anyway, here's how you're actually going to watch the final weekend of games if you're based in the U.S. As always, international viewers, you are pretty much on Twitch. On Friday, San Diego hosts North Carolina at 10 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. On Saturday, Gotham hosts Portland, again, a must-win for the Thorns to capture the Shield, at Red Bull Arena at 6 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. At 7 Eastern, the Spirit conclude their 2022 campaign against the Houston Dash, again, Paramount+. Plus. Now, Twitch gets the 7.30 p.m. Eastern game between Racing Louisville and Kansas City Current, as well as the late game between OL Reign and the Orlando Pride at 10 Eastern. There's only one game on Sunday. It could be a meaningful one. It might not be, but the Red Stars host Angel City at 6 p.m. Eastern, and that game is on Paramount+. Plus. Last year, the Kansas City Current finished in 10th place, with 16 points earned through 24 games of the regular season. With one weekend left in the regular season this year, they are currently in third place with that potential path to the NWL Shield, with 10 wins, 36 points through their 21 games played. They didn't win a single game on the road last season. This year, they've got five of them. They had a 13-game unbeaten streak, the second longest in the NWL. For all the attention on the training facilities, the new stadium that's incoming, and everything happening around the team on that level, there's something happening on the field too. Joining me today is current head coach Matt Potter to reflect on his first year in the league to discuss the culture of the team, his own coaching background, how the team approaches both external narratives, maybe the pressure of some awards, and the chaos of the NWL table. And as always, he's going to deflect when he's asked about a formation, but in a way that still makes perfect sense. Here we go. I did want to start with you just in terms of, can we talk about your coaching journey? Because I think everybody's journey into this league is a little different. And I, I, I really want to talk to you about yours because obviously you have this college background, but then you're coming in most recently through U.S. soccer, both as a, as a scout and then a youth national team coach. Um, but what, what did those two previous kind of universes maybe give you in terms of experience that then you have found helpful for coming to the NWSL? Well, I think first and foremost in college, it's given me a platform to understand a lot of where these players have come from that are in the league. Um, it's, it's clearly been a place where uh, players that have done well in college have, have been able to go on and succeed in the game and continue to play the game at the highest level, uh, taking that track. Obviously, with the time with U.S. soccer, it also allowed me to see 
the pinnacle of the types of players that you can have. And it exposed me to resources and people and methodology that clearly when you're around so many great people and so many great players, then for me, I've always been a learner in many senses of the word. So I was like a sponge trying to take all that in. So if you put the experiences even before college, I was a club coach. So I, I, I understand the fabric that makes this country so great in terms of the soccer community. So, yeah, you mix all that together and put 20 plus years. I think it's culminated in me, one, understanding who I am, but two, gives me a good understanding of uh, culture, players, of the league, of this country. And and maybe that's why, you know, we're off to a great start here with the current. I mean, I think it's interesting because we have seen a little bit of movement now, even before kind of, you know, early days of the league, uh, Laura Harvey going over to U.S. soccer, then coming back, Flacco obviously uh, getting the national team job. But do you think that there's that movement maybe between the, the national and, I guess, international level um, at youth and senior level is, is maybe bringing something new and different to the NWSL? Well, I'm not necessarily sure it's new and different. I think, you know, the bottom line is when you've got people that are ambitious, that want to do well, uh, that want to give back. You know, you've you've talked of some high people there who you can add Jill Ellis to that list. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's so many different people that have tried to do good in the game over the years, and that has afforded them the opportunity to go to different environments to to somewhat see the international game, but also understand the types of players we have here and how we can maximize the potential of those players and. And now you see the league is kind of grown so much that people want to give back to the game. And the next evolution is former players really coming to the fore in terms of coaches. Mm-hmm. And now it comes full circle. And you see lots of little ones running around nowadays and <laughs> their time to be the next players will come. So it, it it's really in a, in a really good kind of spin, if you like, of positivity but I think that comes back to genuinely good people want to do good things. Yeah, just in terms of your role as a as a scout for the U.S. Uh, national team, I think that has been one of the things that I don't know if we've ever really gotten a good look at maybe what goes into that work. And it, you know, we don't really hear a lot about scouting from an NWL point of view. I think we're starting to finally see a little bit more of it on the international level. And I know that. You know, for the athletic, the UK did a whole piece about scouting at the club level um, for WSL. But is there anything from that part of your career where you're kind of using those skills in the NWSL, whether that's opposition scouting or potentially saying, "Okay, hey, I, I've got my eyes on you know player X." Without a doubt, you know the the time spent as a scout. Again, I was around some great people. Um, some real kind of pioneers in what they did and how they did it. Uh, that can only trickle down to I was smart enough to pay attention. Um, <laughs> opposition scouting, obviously, you know, when you're preparing for a World Cup, I was very fortunate to be part of Jill's staff in that sense for, for the World Cup. So, yeah, the, the, the structure becomes important. Uh, messaging becomes important. 
how you go from like this kind of broad, like so much information. And then how do you kind of narrow it down until you get to the point of, well, what do we want the players to know? And then you've touched on the other side. The other side is it's afforded me the opportunity to see some of the best in the game that on the women's side, this game has to offer. So there's benchmarking, there's uh, profiling of player profiles that you look for. And, and now that's given me a kind of unique opportunity to say, well, what could work here? What would fit here? How do we do that? But again, I think it, you know, sometimes I've been pretty boring. It comes back to structure and processes and then behavior that backs it all up. I know we're going to probably talk a lot about culture. I know it is <laughs> one of your your kind of favorite things to to dig into, but just in terms of then moving in to NWSL, right? I went back and I watched a whole bunch of interviews from Ed when you first joined the team and and what you wanted to bring to this team and you know, we're now in September, right? You've you've lived through your first NWSL season, you know, 95% of the way. Um what what are maybe some of your main takeaways in terms of what you were expecting from the league, maybe where it surprised you? Well, I think first and foremost, the players in the league, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, I obviously knew a lot of the players, whether it be them coming from college or whether it be from the international game. And, and I've just been amazed at the competitive nature of of the players not not just on the field but off of the field to move the game forward to contribute to uh image to contribute to grow in the game and the commitment that they show on a day-to-day basis is is admirable and it's inspiring so i think the first thing that's that's the first thing that comes to mind um in terms of the games it's it's been a kind of whirlwind because there were so many new coaches in the league this year. So probably everybody didn't really know what was what they were going to see and how they were going to see it. But the the way in which the league, you know, it, it doesn't get the credit that it deserves. There's it's always been called a transitional league. It's always been called mm-hmm. this and that. And quite frankly, to be involved in it, the quality of the games it's such a, a fun environment to be in because it challenges you. And I think the ambition of a lot of the teams is you you want to be challenged on a day-to-day basis. And, and the reality is if you're not at your best on any given Saturday or any given Sunday when the games are, you're in trouble against any team. And that that if you put great players, if you put great coaches and you put those together and you start playing games, the, the parity top to bottom between the teams, it's, I, I I thought I knew about it, but living it, it's like, oh boy, hold on tight because here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's been the entire season this year. I mean, it just, you know, it, I think it has been really interesting to to talk to some of the coaches and players. You know, I asked uh, Rian Wilkinson this, this past weekend about how do you approach not only you as a coach, but your players looking at the table, right? Because we we know how tight it is. We know what it is. And that's not something you can control. And she's like, everybody gets annoyed at me because I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't even engage with it. But it is, a, this This is a season unlike we have ever seen in the NWSL. So I'm, I'm just curious about your approach to it of knowing that there's, you can only control yeah. Kansas City, but <laughs> there's chaos kind of happening right outside the door at the same time. It, it, Exactly. I, I think uh, 
I was expressing that to the team a couple of weeks ago. I sat at home and I had the, it was the first time in a long time that I had a TV on and then I had a monitor of another game and a monitor of another game. And I went on this emotional roller coaster, like, what are you doing? Oh my God, like, whoa, oh. And I just went on this emotional roller coaster through the games. And then all of a sudden I went, time out, you know, like, what are you doing? So I ended up turning two games off to focus on one and, and still the same thing, emotionally became attached to it. But what I was telling the team is I finally got to the point, like, what are you doing? You have no control over what's happening right now. And quite frankly, in the NWSL, expect the expected. You know, that. what, what, are, <laughs> what am I thinking? Not thinking it's going to be like that, especially with the season that every team is playing so well. And every team, like you said, is picking up points from, <laughs> from everybody else. So once you expect the expected, now all of a sudden you start to take the emotional piece out of it a little bit. Now you get into control what you're able to control, which is control the control mm -hmm. of ball. And now you start to separate the emotions out from, okay, what is it that's happening? What can we can, what do we have to get back to? And that, that for me has been, what's our identity? What are the processes that we have in place to live out that identity? And what are the behaviors that back that up? And so getting back to that is, has been the part, but to your point, it's like, okay, expect <laughs> the expected here. This is not like out of the realms of possibilities right now. Right. It's yeah. Fun. I mean, it, it's I, fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun for us to watch. I just, yeah, I can only, I mean, but I think there's also another emotional piece maybe for Kansas City because you come into this team that has finished last, last year. Right. And so I think the ambition has always been there. And, and we can talk about that from like an ownership point of view. But, you know, these are players who are, are not going to be happy with, with settling for anything that isn't, you know, playoffs isn't, isn't more than playoffs, right? Hosting a game. And how do you, you know, there's the emotion of, okay, there's chaos outside the doors, but also there is this drive and push from within of, we can kind of write this narrative of last to potentially hosting a, a, a playoffs game. Yeah, it's interesting. When I, when I came in, I think the club had already started the process of moving forward. I think even the ownership, the leadership, the coaches of last year, they started to progress towards the end of the year and actually finished the year with with progress, if you like. And then you add into mm -hmm. that the players that they that that they maneuvered in and out. And and you pick up players like Lynn and Sam and you complement those with the Hamiltons of the world and the Ebors and the AD Frenches of the world and Desi Scotts of the world. That were, I mean, the list goes on that, that were already here. Progress was, the wheels were already turning. I think what was important is we never ever really talked about last season and what we had to do this season. My mind was, listen, here's, here's what ownership sees as our kind of heritage that we've had even though it's been very short the culture and the expectations we want to they wanted to set and here's how i think we can live into that possibility and if we're going to live into that possibility then now we've got to talk about here's an identity and the reason i committed to the project that that angie chris and Brittany have is i believed in the way they wanted to do that and so the match of what they, what they had kind of tasked us with 
the way I felt the game should be played, it seemed to be this match. So I was, you know, I was very happy and very fortunate and grateful that they selected me to kind of take on that challenge. And then with the players, it became about, well, this is how I think it could look. This is what we need to either buy into or this is how we need to build this behavior. And the sooner we can get on a common page, that's going to help drive us forward. And we kept saying the same things over and over again. And to, to your point, compete was a big part. Contribute was a big part. Get 1% better was a big part. And the, and the one thing I forgot earlier is when you watch the NWSL, whether it's from pregame to the end of the game, the players are expressing themselves and having joy in what they do. And because they're having this joy in what they do, then that's part of what we tried to create here. And, and you know, the end of the season will judge us in terms of wins and losses. But I think our progress has been so much more than just a win, win and a loss. And at times we try to, again, take that kind of emotional roller coaster you can go on if you get trapped in the wins and losses. Mm -hmm. And that's where I go back again to the idea, what are the processes that we have in place? What is the desired behavior? In the desired behavior, we're either going to reinforce that desired behavior. Sometimes you have to reframe that desired behavior and sometimes you have to refocus it. So the reality is it's always been driven about what can we live into? How can we get there? What what does it look like? How do we help each other get there? So that joy, you know, I mean, Lola Bonta gets a, a, <laughs> a big kudos for helping drive that within the group. But I tell you what, there's a lot of players right behind her who are expressing their joy and every day here in the building. And that's what's what's been so fun about the project so far. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, though, like getting outside of the wins and losses, because also the team has been kind of a, a team that has really loved to streak one way or the other, right? Like Challenge Cup happens five games at the start of the season, not getting the results, and then you go on this long 13-game unbeaten streak. And that those, I think, are always really interesting because then that becomes a storyline, right? And that's another thing that you maybe have to set aside and say okay, are we committing to the process? So is that something that, again, like you have to kind of say, okay, <laughs> again, it's outside the door, right? Well, it was interesting because um, early on, obviously the Challenge Cup came first and that was about trying to start the process of, we, we tried to build an identity in our time in preseason in Florida mm -hmm. about what did we want it to look like together off the field and on the field. Because if we didn't get it right off of the field, you're never going to see the best version of, of them on the field as a soccer player or as a footballer. So, so once that was in place, when Challenge Cup came, we were just trying to find out about each other. I mean, it's, it's uncanny. We started at race in Louisville. We played in a 4-4-2. We had Lynn Williams, Sam Uess, you know, all these different people on the field. We had 80 French, uh, sorry, we had uh, Alex and Jenna, two, two rookies starting at center back. And now you fast forward to where we're at now. People say to me like, you know, oh, 
are you in this formation? You're in that formation. And my answer is like, sure. You know, like that's what we're in. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Because the reality is we really are living out the identity that, that we talked about. And so, yeah, so now those players, you can just, you know, they, they're just inspiring. Yeah, I mean, hilariously, the one, like, true soccer question I had for you was via my coworker, Steph, and she's like, I really want to talk about three at the back, right? Because I think what what is really interesting, and I, I have gone through and looked at all of your other answers about formations and it always kind of comes back to that whole thing of like yeah okay like (laughs) we're playing to our identity we're making changes live on the field whatever but i think it is really interesting just because it's really three at the back maybe sometimes slipping into four depending on you know the moment of the game but there are not a lot of (laughs) yeah i mean again like we'll 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 kind (laughs) of you know basket it but Sometimes it works, sometimes like the game against Chicago more recently was not as successful. And then you go and play the spirit and the, you know, the lineup on the field is extremely successful in terms of figuring out how to break down the spirit. And so, you know, stepping maybe back from, okay, if I'm going to look at Y Scout, right. And it's trying to give me a breakdown of like what formation percent of the time Kansas City current plays like throw that out the window maybe but how do you maybe explain to people who are not as familiar with the concept of a of a formation on how you're maybe reading some of those game moments to say okay this is calling for a tweak of position that maybe most people aren't even catching on the screen well I I think first and foremost number one again I would give the players credit you know they're 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 we give them the autonomy to so solve things on the field so they always have that autonomy to to manipulate shape and manipulate position to to try and gain an advantage or to put themselves in a position to minimize the space of an opponent or the time the opponent has on the ball now out of that autonomy, though, we do have a structure in place, and that framework and structure is built around living out some principles. And in those principles, no matter what position you're in, you can live out the principle of how we want to attack to progress, or you can live out how do we want to be in a defensive block high, or you can live out how we want to be in a defensive block low or defend the goal or attack the goal. And within those principles, now it's, again, giving the players the autonomy to figure out, is this the right time to be 1v1? Is this the right time to try and overload wide? Is it the right time to overload centrally? Is it the right time that, hey, momentum's not with us, so let's drop our our forward line a little deeper to compact the lines to create less Mm -hmm. space and less time for an opponent if they do go into those spaces. So I wish I could take all the credit, but my job has been how can we simplify what is so complex and in a short period of time, give them an identity that one, gives them autonomy, but two, highlights the players that we have. And in highlighting the players that we have, it's putting them in the place where we feel they can have the most impact. So if there's anything that we might do, that might be it sometimes. So Haley Mace, for example, 
um, is clearly clearly played well from a, a wing back position. Sometimes it's on the left, sometimes it's on the right. But in Portland, we felt okay, we can either make this change here and bring Haley out, or we can put her in a position further down the field where we felt she could take advantage. And lo and behold, she's the player that that wins the set piece. But it came from Taylor Leach, who had come into the game, passing to Jenna Weinbrenner, who'd come into the game with fresh legs, fresh legs, passing to Izzy Rodriguez, who'd come into the game, who's a naturally left-footed player. And that natural left foot is going to create a different type of pass than a maybe a right-footed player playing left left back or left midfield at the time. So that allows then a different type of ball to get to Haley Mace. Haley does her magic and the rest is history. So yeah. if anything, it's about the timing of personnel or the, the placement of personnel is probably where we try to guide it a little bit. But then again, like I go back to players take all the credit the autonomy to express themselves, the autonomy to play in a manner that that really the other thing that I've found in this group of players is they want to do well for the community. They want to play well for the fans in the in the stands. And, you know, somebody asked me about the celebrations. I'm like, I don't really ever see any of them. I'm like, you know, <laughs> poor old Kristen Edmonds or one of our central defenders is often – stood by me like well what do you think we should do now i'm like i don't know like like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah just in terms of you know i think a player that maybe is not getting quite as much credit in this system is desi scott um i am a big defensive midfielder appreciator in terms of like they are kind of the unsung heroes of a lot of teams and I'm, i'm just just even stepping aside from from scott for a minute just how do you feel about defensive midfielder as a position in terms of maybe how it can hold a hold a formation together? Well, I'm biased too because that's where I played. So, <laughs> so I basically tell Desi all the time, like you're screwed because like that's where I played too, and this is what my coaches <laughs> told me, and, and this is this is what I think you should be able to do. But yeah, Desi's um, for me, I have great admiration for what Desi does because, to your point that position she guides so much behavior that people would never see unless either one to your point you've played in the position or two always coaches say about desi and admire you know how desi's played um because what she does is she she just doesn't do what she needs to do. She's mm-hmm. she takes care of yeah. everybody else and, and ends up in places like how she end up there. But like, you know, like she <laughs> she has this uncanny knack of positioning herself in the right place at the right time. And sometimes it works out for the positive and sometimes it doesn't, but she's never not in the right place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so interesting in the, about the position is the people who are most successful at playing it, they're almost so good that they disappear into the game, right? Like that's the mark of a successful defensive midfielder is if you're like, oh, oh yeah, she was on, oh yeah, 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 okay. Like there is just kind of the sense of they are this kind of unseen string puller for the entire match, but that is to me a really good sign. And I think it is really interesting that 
you know, I think we've we've always kind of had an appreciation for a number of defensive midfielders over the years. Like I think about a Shannon Box yeah. and her, you know, role on the the U.S. national team. But like, it is really interesting. I think to maybe start to see a little bit of a renaissance in the NWSL and yeah. in, in terms of appreciating that role. I think it it is just yeah, we and we. It's the we, hardest one to like point out, but it's the most satisfying. I think. Yeah, and we have another good one, Alex Luera, the the rookie yeah. that's playing. She she is showing all the the early signs to be every bit as um, capable as Desi has been, and and what a great person for her to be guided by. So Desi is, and that's the other thing. Desi's not satisfied with just playing well for herself. She wants to play and make others around her better. And that to me is the most significant on a day-to-day basis. She makes everybody else be better. And she does it with such charm and a smile on her, on her face. So for us to have new, new players to the league like Alex learning from that type of role model every day, um, th- that's probably one of the most rewarding parts. Is I I'm the lucky one that gets to see see that every day. So, so that's been the fun part for me. But yeah, Desi is she's not an unsung hero because everybody knows who Desi Scott is. You know, the reality is it's like, well, she just did it again. You know, like here she is again. You know, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we're fortunate to have her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know, defensive midfielders are maybe not the ones that pull home all the awards right um so it is kind of i think it's a it's a position that teammates uh appreciate the most but it's maybe not the flashiest but i actually you know what talking about awards i I am again kind of returning to this theme of stuff that is not necessarily within your control right we are now approaching the end of the regular season and i i have kind of a two-part question here because you know there are players on Kansas City that are going to be, I think, in the in the running for year end awards, right? I think Lola Bont is a hundred percent an MVP candidate in this league this season. Um, how much is that something that you try to, you know, it's hard to not like be a human who who wants to have that appreciation for for players, but then there's also the part of you are potentially a coach of the year candidate as well, and how do you maybe <laughs> handle that, you know, looming uh, the next month while the regular season and, and playoffs are still approaching at the same time? Well, the thing we talk about is we've got our tent and and we talk about life in the tent is if you're in, you're in. And, and in that tent, it's an ecosystem that we all live in and we all to try to bring out the best in each other. And if somebody's highlighted, then that's also... I think what's been great to hear from the players especially is they're first to highlight the others that have helped them be highlighted. And Lola Bont is a great example. AD French with, with her saves of the week or whoever it may be. So those are stories for other people to write. You know, our job is to, to continue to live out who we are. And if other people recognize us along the way. So, for example, the benchmark of us actually making the postseason, for me, I expressed that's just another indication that we're moving in the right direction. You know, Lola Bonta, I've, I've known Lola since she was 16, 17 years old. 
way back when i'm kind of dating myself more and her i guess a bit but but the reality is um she obviously had an easier paper round than i did but like but uh she she's a player that if you if you point her in the right direction if you allow her to be low you're seeing a that you're not seeing any different a low that's always been been in there and the fact that she's expressing herself in the manner she is in that kind of caliber of player. Yeah. You know, when you talk of Alex at San Diego, you talk of Mal Pugh, I'm, you know, for me, I'm, I'm so happy for those players. Mal, I'm really happy for, especially because she's come through some adversity, but I bet if you look at every one of those candidates, they've all had some sense of adversity that they've managed. And maybe Lowe's is just, she just needed the right, moment to be able to be her fullest self and you know yeah if if those types of things come those are the opinions of other people but every day when we step into our our meeting room here Lola Bonta knows how important she is to us and 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 I think for for her that's that's enough sometimes you know and that's what we want because life in our tent is about us and and that's what we enjoy we enjoy being around each other and that's what's important yeah i I really like i'm ready for my trip down to kansas city at some point so (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed all right i want to ask you one last question you're actually you're you're the first one to get this but i want to start asking people because it's one of my favorite topic discussions with friends any time period any league any level who is a player that you think has not has been underrated, has not gotten the credit that they deserve that you could just watch forever? Any time period, any level. Well, yep. well, I think we've been so fortunate. Well, I've been so fortunate in my lifetime to see some very, very special players. Well, one player for me growing up was Brian Robson. I probably that's the first person that comes to mind. He went through a lot of adversity with injuries, but an English player that was was so incredible. And then I think uh, a player that I always admired and, you know, dated him way back on the women's side was Carla Overbeck. And, and I just, you know, like for me, Carla, I have, I had the best Carla Overbeck story that I ever, I was, it was, they were preparing, gosh knows when it was early mid nineties. And my daughter was a player and her idol was Carla. And basically, we were in Chula Vista and San Diego. They were training at Chula Vista in San Diego. And I was at the convention. And, you know, we were staying at like a Holiday Inn random like place. And they go down <laughs> to the lobby and there's Carla Overbeck. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I basically asked her if she would sign an autograph for me for my for my daughter. And she and I basically asked the guy at the front desk, you got a piece of paper and a pen so I can take this. (laughs) (laughs) I was so big time. But, uh, and she basically said, well, you know, I tell you what, no. And I'm like, "Uh, what do you mean? And she basically said, listen, the team is leaving here. We're going to China. If you write down her name and address, I will, when I get back, I don't know when that will be, I'll, I'll send her an autograph and I'm like, of course you will. Just sign the piece of paper, Carla. Of <laughs> <laughs> course you will. Anyway, sure enough, you fast forward four weeks, five weeks, 
through the mail comes this signed picture from Carla Overbeck to our daughter, to Andrea, keep living your dreams, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that's the mark of a true, 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 true inspirational person that wants to give back to the game, that wants to inspire. And that's resonated with me in my whole whole coaching career. So moments like that of the opportunity to give back like that and make somebody else's day, that's that's something we should all think about. Yeah, Carla Overbeck is just, again, you talk about that generation of the team though, and she's not necessarily a name that is going to be, you know, in the top five names that, that comes up, but she she was kind of the heart and, and soul of that team for so long. So yeah. great, she great was in our house. on my end. She was in our house. <laughs> yeah. Our, well, that was like, was I was always a Christine Lilly appreciator, there right? You so, you know, yeah, there's, every, everybody's got their, their person. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely appreciate all the time today. We will all be watching, I am yeah. sure, this weekend for another absurd weekend yeah, just expect this expected. league and then <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so much no for problem. the time and and hopefully we can have you on again at some point in the future no worries i wish you the best and good luck with the move thank you to matt for his time so many thoughtful answers in here so hopefully you enjoyed the conversation and of course are going to watch all of the games this weekend for all things full-time, visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information. And if you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. It is always our very best deal. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. I've got a big story coming out on Friday, so stay tuned on that front. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. Meg, thanks for listening. Thanks.